episode it is the 100th episode of holy cow a cubs podcast and i'm just i want to thank everyone that's listened to these episodes over the past few years and i can't believe i did this many episodes it's been very fun and had a lot of great guests but i thought today i'd have two of my favorite guests on the podcast. First, we have Jared Willis, who is now at CHGO Sports, but was at the Sporting News and started out at Cubs Den, where I started out. And I, of course, want to thank the late, great John Erguayo, who started Cubs Den and gave me my first writing job and led to this podcast. And then my other guest is Evan Altman, I think my most frequent guest. And now he runs Cubs Insider, where I do all my writing now. So I thought I'd represent both sides of my illustrious writing career. But anyway, uh, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. The uh, addition of Dansby Swanson a little bit about the Cubs convention. Then there's a gap between when I recorded these. In my other interview, I talk about the signing of Trey Mancini and hopefully a better Cubs season. But anyway, we'll go to my first interview with Jared Willis. And again, I want to thank everybody for everything they've done to help this podcast grow all right jared welcome back to holy cow it's always good to have you on thanks for having me sean it's good to be back with you all right so uh this is a special double episode because it's my 100th episode oh nice yes so i'm having you and um uh evan altman from cubs insider you're my two guests excellent so the question is, am I going first or is Evan first? Well, I'm not sure about that. Okay. First. If so, you want to follow with the good stuff, you probably save Evan for last. Okay. <laughs> well, either way, um, it's good to have you on. And yeah, there's been, this is a much anticipated Cubs off season. And this is our first episode since the off season began and um yeah i would say it was a mixed bag i mean not like the mega off season some people hope for but certainly not a conservative don't do anything off season so what did you think of the cubs off season so far yeah i think the my main takeaway is that the cubs are definitely better and the 2023 season should be a more successful one um, than last year. 
And not that the bar was really high in 2022, but if you're looking for the team to progress in this plan that, you know, Jed Hoyer seems to be trying to carry out, um, he never wants to call it a rebuild, but, you know, so whatever, whatever word we want to use. Um, but, you know, so he's got this plan for getting the team back to being competitive again. And it is pretty clear on paper, at least, that they have made progress in that direction. Um, again, the Cubs are going to be better in 2023. Um, the big, th but along with that, maybe not the big thing, but there's still significant holes on the roster. Um, you look at that offense in particular, I see, you know, pretty glaring gaps at first base, especially um, even third base to some degree. And then, you know, catcher, we're not sure, quite sure how it's going to go without Wilson Contreras in the mix anymore. Um, so while there are still, still some holes, my biggest takeaway is that the team is better. And in a lot of ways, this offseason has been a good one. So obviously, you could, I guess you would say the Cubs are looking for internal improvements at first base and third base. Mainly, I would say Christopher Morell at third base, would you say, is that might be what they're leaning towards? Yeah, I think a third. I mean, obviously, you're going to have Patrick Wisdom doing some of the third base. But by now, you know, we sort of know what kind of a hitter he is. And and while, yeah, there's a lot of power there, the guy strikes out a ton. And for a team that's trying to be competitive, I don't know if that's a bat you want in, a, in the lineup full time. So, yeah, you're hoping that uh, Christopher Morell can show so he you know when he came up last may he looked really good for a while and then cooled off at the plate quite a bit which is you know as normal as the leagues kind of adjust to the guy and figures out how to try to to get him out um the hope is that in his second season that you know he's done his homework as well and he's gonna figure some things out and and be the kind of hitter that i we all think he's capable of so if he can do that then Morel becomes a a realistic option as a regular third basin, baseman. The only problem I have with that scenario is he also has a ton of value as a kind of like a Ben Zobrist style um, utility player who can hit really well, but can also field several positions um, well also. So, yeah, Morell, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how he gets used this coming year. Yeah. And so obviously the other big uh question would be first base, and you're hoping Matt Mervis, but again, he's been completely unproven, never played in the major leagues. So it's gonna be a tough thing there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're really, there's been a lot of Matt Mervis excitement and dare I say hype, uh, mm -hmm. especially toward the end of the season last year. And, but we're basing a lot of this excitement uh, on one very strong minor league season. That's, you know, and like you said, zero major league at bats so far. So I've, I've said it other places. I've been pretty open about this. Um, I have low expectations for Matt Mervis for this year, not low expectations, period, but just at least for what he's going to 
helps provide for the team in 2023. I'm not looking for much. I honestly am not sure. I think he, I don't think he makes the major league roster on opening day. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him in the, in the majors until sometime in the middle of May. Um, Cause I think the Cubs are going to, regardless of how he might perform in spring training, I have a feeling that they're going to want him to get more AAA at bats um, at the very beginning of the season. And then once he does come up, you know, it's, we just talked about Morrell. Who knows? I mean, he could look really great the first few weeks, but then, you know, the pitchers around the league are so well-informed of access to so much information. They figure out a guy like that fairly quickly. So long-term Matt Mervis might be your first baseman, but in 2023, I'm not, I'm not expecting a whole lot from him. So do you get the sense that the Cubs might not be completely done? Like someone like a Trey Mancini, another guy with first base experience. Do you think they might still bring someone like that in? I, I think it's possible, but I don't think I don't, that doesn't strike me as very likely at this point. I think they're, they're content with, you know, Eric Hosmer who, you know, he's defensively what he can do for you. Um, you keep your expectations low with how well he's going to hit, um, which is not, you know, not ideal for first base, but as a temporary placeholder kind of a, a guy, it's, it's fine. Um, but also, and this is, you know, there's a lot of variables at play here, but um, Cody Bellinger, you know, we think of him now as the center fielder, but he also has a lot of experience at first base as well. Um, and so if he if if he does begin to hit more like the Cody Bellinger of a few years ago, he's going to be a regular fixture in the lineup because he's that good of a hitter mm-hmm. and he may spend some time at, at first base as well. So um, I think Mancini is possible, but I at this point, a month or so from pitchers and catchers reporting, it doesn't strike me as, as super likely. Yeah. There was like this like pretty huge backlash to Eric Hosmer, which is almost like I think people thought he was still being paid like he's being paid by the Padres instead of making the league minimum. But if you you just can't get that worked up about someone making the minimum salary. Yeah, I mean, you really can't. I mean, the Cubs are essentially, it's like getting the guy for free. Um, Because if you're paying somebody like that the league minimum, that's, you know, it it has no impact on your, the luxury tax threshold. You know, he is not going to make the difference between them being able to sign somebody else. Uh, You're really taking advantage of the fact that he's essentially being paid by the Padres to play for you. So, Worst case scenario is you paid league minimum for a guy who's not who's not going to hit. I wonder. I my suspicion is a lot of the anti-Hosmer sentiment that went around was based on people who had their sights set on somebody better and see this as a sign that you know maybe somebody like Trey Mancini, um, and they see this as a sign that okay, well now we're not going to get that guy because we signed Hosmer, yeah. uh, which isn't necessarily the case. Um, I think the Cubs saw this as we can basically get a first base placeholder for practically nothing. Yeah, it it, it does feel like it's more 
just a general people wanted more moves and you know this happens and it's almost like a good thing to get your frustration out to complain about yeah i mean and because i think that cubs fans you know rightfully are getting impatient because uh yeah they traded away started trading away the core just as you know as recently as july 2021 but when's the last time that the cubs really felt like a competitive team you know we we watched as the wheels came off late in the 2018 season but the, i mean it's been 6 years since we've really felt like this team was good yeah. um so that's where i think a lot of people are coming from like all right let's you know this was supposed to be this new era of cubs baseball where you know we're going to on a regular basis be able to field a competitive team and yeah we saw the you know the world series team of 2016 they were good enough to get pretty deep into the playoffs in the following year but really since then they just haven't been that that good so um I think again, Cubs fans are justifiably frustrated and impatient. Like, all right, this isn't what we were told was going to happen here. Come on, let's, yeah, let's was, see something. Yeah. What was the package that was sold? It was once we get the TV channel and we're going to get sustained success, we won't have to rebuild again. We'll have a steady stream of income and we'll be a powerhouse like the Yankees or Red Sox or whoever. And that yeah. part of the deal didn't come true. The world yeah, exactly. yeah. I, I mean, and even you look at like the, the way the Dodgers have functioned for the last, you know, over a decade now. When's how many consecutive seasons have they at least reached the playoffs? I think that's the ex that's become the bar. That's the expectation. And I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation for Cubs fans. Yeah. Um, and like you said, very explicitly told. When this marquee sports network comes, we get our TV network, then the money's going to be there. And it feels like a lot of money has been put into upgrades to Wrigley, kind of changing the look and feel of the neighborhood around the ballpark. And it's like, you know, these are good things. I think most people enjoy the changes, but you want to see a good team on the field because it doesn't matter how nice the park is. I want to watch a winning team. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, and you see, like you said, the Dodgers and then the other, the team that was kind of joined at the hip with the Cubs when they were both rebuilding at first, the Astros, and they've been able to sustain their success kind of from the same starting point as the Cubs. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best comparison we could make because um, they started their rebuilds at pretty much the same time, uh, went about it in very much the same way. The size of the market is about the same, you know, Houston versus Chicago. But one could argue that Chicago should be a better sports market than Houston is. Um and then you look at what the Astros have accomplished and you can take, you know, we all know the 2017 World Series is a little, little tainted, but look at even what they've done since then. And not just winning World Series, but also just regularly being in it or at least getting far into the playoffs. That's what we were told. That was the expectation was for what the Cubs were going to do. And again, that just hasn't 
proven to be the case. Yeah. So I guess I'll ask you, um, fan engagement has been down, especially last year. Do you think that citing Dansby Swanson and, you know, would that help boost fan interest? Or do you think they have to start winning again to get fans? Yeah, I, th I think it's the latter for sure. They have to start winning again. Um, I mean, two, two things. Dansby Swanson isn't for most, I don't know, for the, I think the casual baseball fan, that's not a big enough name for people to say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to get tickets and I'm going to go because Dansby Swanson's on the team now. I think, you know, attentive baseball fans understand he's a really good player. He's going to make the team a lot better. Um, but just generally, I don't think he's a big enough name to have that kind of an impact. Um, but I think Cubs fans are also in a place where they it almost doesn't matter. You know, we're past to the point of like, oh, we signed this shiny new free agent. I'm going to go to see that guy play. Um, I think they're at like, I don't care who you sign. I want to see a team that wins. Yes. And so I think if we do see, you know, come the beginning of the season in April, when if they start to, you know, if they start to show they're going to be better, and I think we'll see some of that fan engagement come up again. Attendance will, will come up. Because, um, yeah, last season, especially, there were a lot of empty seats, um, mm -hmm. as empty as I've seen Wrigley in, in a long time. Yes. And, you know, it's one of those, if you, I've said this many times on this podcast, if you build your whole business model, uh, redoing the stadium and buying up the neighborhood, you need people to show up to make money. So they have a lot of incentives to Ricketts to win games. Yeah, I think because it seems like they've reached the point now where they have accomplished what they wanted to accomplish as far as what they've done in the neighborhood, in, in the ballpark, and you've got the big hotels there. The, the Cubs new office building. I mean, they've done all of those things. I think all of that's been accomplished um, so much so that, you know, they were trying to buy a English soccer team, but uh, yeah, I think it does. I think you're right because all that stuff is great, but if there's a million fewer people coming to the ballpark every season, that's a significant impact. So you need a team that's good to draw more people to that area so i guess we'll see like you said they've made some improvements and like their pitching staff is not bad i they actually did pretty good last year and i like the moves they made this year so we'll i see. agree and and i think and something that I, I don't think enough of us are talking about yet is um if and I, I recognize this is a big if, but if Kyle Hendricks can, I, I'm, he's probably not going to get back to, you know, his best, but if you see an improved Kyle Hendricks, that is, has a massive impact on the rotation. If he's back out there on a regular basis and pitching even as close to as well as he has, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, that, that changes, that, that adds a lot to, like you said, what is already, I think, a pretty solid rotation. And then you start getting into 
guys like Keegan Thompson, Alzale, could they be in the bullpen pitching like multiple innings? And then you get that could be really something. Yeah. Um, especially somebody like Alzale is still a bigger question mark to me. I think losing so much of the year last year to injury. Um, you know, he's still kind of wait and see mode. But yeah, Keegan Thompson has a kind of a sixth starter, swingman, long relief kind of guy. Um, that helps you a lot. And it, a lot of that might depend on if you've got Kyle Hendricks in the rotation and then you can push Thompson into that role. Um, that's really like, you, there's so much benefit to having a guy like that who can do a spot start when needed, extend your rotation when needed, or if if need be, pick up three innings um, in a game where your starter has to come out early for whatever reason. So, yeah, there's a lot, again, there's a lot to be gained by Hendricks being better this year. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think I think they're in a better spot. And obviously you got expanded playoffs and a weak division. So, yeah, they, they should be improved, I would think. Yeah, and like you said, the weak division, um, I don't want to get out of, ahead of my skis, but I don't think it's it's crazy to envision a scenario where the Cubs win the division. Yeah, it would have to be, obviously, the main competition would be the Cardinals. The Brewers will be in there, but I think they've taken a step back. But, yeah. I could see it. I could also see them finishing in fourth place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems equally possible. Because um, for as much as a lot can go right this coming year, uh, a lot can go wrong too. So, yeah, we'll see. But I, I'm with you. I think St. Louis is the the chief competition. But, there, yeah, there's, there's a lot of – there's some question marks there too um, mm -hmm. with them. Uh, but yeah, Cubs, I could I could see them going either direction pretty easily. Which I guess is better than last year when it was pretty clear they were only going to be in one direction. Right. So I guess that's a good spot to end it. I will, of course, let you plug um, CHGO. Yeah, um, I think past listeners might remember but uh but yeah you can find my work at chgo that's all chgo.com and subscribe to us on youtube we're at chgo sports we cover all the chicago teams um you know from the bears all the way to uh the chicago red stars so uh but yeah we, there's daily podcasts for the cubs um, that you can watch live on youtube or subscribe and then watch you know at whatever time is convenient or just listen to them as audio only podcasts. And then my written work is there. Uh, I'll be at the Cubs convention this weekend, Friday and Saturday. So we're going to have some coverage there. Um, if anybody listening is going to be there, definitely come say hi. Um, I'm excited because it's the first convention in three years. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be nice to get to see some, you know, some of the Cubs people that I haven't seen in a long time, you know, like Evan Altman and, and some of those guys and some of the people that, you know, I've been interacting with on Twitter now for such a long time, uh, but haven't seen in a while. So it's going to be nice to, 
yeah, get to say hi to some people. Yep. Sounds good. And as always, thank you for coming on as you now multiple times through this uh, hundred episodes. And yeah, it's always good to have you on. Thanks, Sean. It's always nice to, to be invited. Now, here's my interview with Evan that I did a couple days after my interview with Jared. All right, Evan, welcome back to Holy Cow. It's always good to have you on. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's uh, it feels like I think I'm I think I'm pretty glad that we're doing this now versus like three or four days ago. You know, uh, the the Cubs convention uh, kind of honeymoon period is still still strong, so that's good. Yep, that is good. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I this is a big uh, podcast. It's my one hundredth. Holy cow! Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. So it's a double. So I did a double podcast. I already interviewed um, Jared Willis of um, CHGO, and now I'm having you on. But I recorded uh, his half of the podcast before the convention. So we kind of have like dueling before and after. But yeah, I guess that's the big news since I interviewed Jared is that the signing of Trey Mancini which a lot of fans were hoping for and we got. So I guess I'll ask you, you got to feel good about this Trey Mancini sign. Yeah. And I think, and, and what was funny, was like, there had been kind of not so much a report as, as much. And I, and I, I'm not trying to throw Sahadev Sharma under the bus and say, Oh, he was wrong. But at the time it had seemed as if the Cubs had kind of moved away from Mancini who really did, uh, seemed to make a lot of sense, and and he had been connected to them for quite a while. Uh, so then to to get that, and it was actually, um, you know, I ended up leaving the convention kind of at the end of the the daily festivities on Saturday, and, and drove home, and then that was something that kind of hit late that evening. So it was it was really interesting because they, they you know, we had known about Eric Hosmer for a while, but they they made that official Friday morning, and then to add Mancini, you know, after Jed Hoyer was talking about, there's a few more moves, and and now we. I've heard them connected to some lefty relievers, but the the you know Mancini. It, 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 we can say this about a lot of their additions, right? To where you don't look at any one player that they've signed, not even Dansby Swanson, as like the guy yeah. to, who's, who's going to turn anything around. But when you start stacking all these players up, all of a sudden you look at it, you say, "Well, this is a much more competent, balanced roster." at just about every position, right? And and I don't want to, you know, upset anybody with the with the catcher thing. You know, if we need to talk about that, we certainly can. But um, you know, Mancini balancing things out, being a right-handed hitter, a guy who's familiar with DH, can play some first, can play some corner outfield, not particularly well in the corner outfield. And I don't think he gets much run out there, but I like the move. I really think it does kind of raise the floor on the performance of this team, e- even if it doesn't do much for the ceiling. Yes. That's, I mean, that's kind of the theme this year has been they're raising the floor. I don't know about the ceiling, but the floor is definitely up at most positions. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I, I think in particular, you know, if you look at first, third, and center, um, third, they, they haven't done a whole lot to address. However, um, you know, I, I think if you look at like Chris Morell and, and uh, Patrick Wisdom, 
you know, that combination I think can't be, you know, nearly as bad, I guess, from a defensive standpoint as, as what they were, but Cody Bellinger in center automatically legitimizes the defense and and could really be a, a big offensive producer. You look at what they've done at first between Hosmer, Mancini, you know, possibly Matt Mervis, depending on how that goes in there. Those uh, two of those players are going to be in, in contention maybe for that DH role, um, you know, and then just up the middle in general with Swanson taking over at short and then Nico Horner sliding over to second. And then you look at what they've done from a run prevention standpoint, really behind the plate um, that kind of combines with the pitchers. I mean, I think you look up the middle and then the two corner infield spots and all of a sudden, you know, again, it, it's nothing that you look at individually says, okay, this is like a caliber player who's going to turn a team around. But when we say, hey, they just improved either defensively, offensively, or both at a number of different spots. And I, I think one of the things we saw with this Cubs team the last two years in particular was th this tendency to sort of fall apart at times and, and to fall into these big skids and to have kind of just complete breakdowns. And I, and I think, again, I, I just said the competence of the roster as a whole I think prevents that kind of thing from happening. They're you know they're not going to go off on giant win streaks, I don't think, but I think they're they're probably going to be in a better position to win some of those close games and to avoid you know falling into that where where mental mistakes and things like that can cost you as much. So it's it's hard, it's easy to not love what they've done, but I think it's it's hard to hate what they've done if that makes any sense. It does. So I guess I. Since you brought it up, we can talk a little bit about the uh, catching situation where, you know, we brought in um, Tucker Barnhart to go along with Gomes. And obviously, Contreras left and he went to the Cardinals. So obviously, that makes it even more painful. But a lot of people are very upset about this. But I thought I'd ask you, what do you think about these? moves, I guess we'll say. Um, you know, I am, uh, again, part of this is, is kind of my personal bias. Um, and, and I'll address the Contreras thing, I guess, first speaking about that. I, I don't want to say I was not a Contreras fan that that is not fair nor accurate, but I, I know there are a lot of folks who thought, you know, gosh, letting him go is the worst thing ever. It's, but, but I think, you know, if you, if you kind of see the fact that the team was pretty clearly looking to go in a different direction. Uh, and I, and I don't think that was about, you know, a lot of people look at that as saying they, they just didn't want to spend the money. Right. Or they, they, whatever. But I, I think there were some, some legitimate reasons behind why they wanted to do something a little bit different. And, um, and, and I think that when you look at the guys they have, when you think about the, the trust that Barnhart and Gomes already have. I mean, Gomes already has it, but I think, you know, Tucker Barnhart's a guy who um, really kind of gets in the heads of his pitchers in, in the in the best way of, of saying that. I know it, it sounds kind of strange maybe, but uh, I think these guys are going to really enjoy throwing to those players. Um, and, and if those catchers are going to have a little bit more of a vibe with that pitching staff that, that needs to have a lot of things maximized. Right, that that isn't going to be all about striking guys out and, and just getting by on stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I like where that's at. And like I said, I mean, I've I've you know talked about this a few times before, but um, you know, Barnhart's a guy for me. 
personally that, uh, you know, I had kind of linked to the Cubs very early on and not, not based on anything, you know, internal. I just thought that would be a really good pickup for them. But, uh, as I've said, like I've, I live in the same, uh, town that he's from and, and my son has been getting hitting lessons from, from Tucker's dad for the last six years or so. And, and so just, it's neat as a, you know, just kind of with that connection, but to have my son kind of feel a little bit of a, of a more personal connection to a Cubs player who's out there and someone that, that he can kind of aspire to. And I think, you know, fans who maybe only knew him from afar with the Reds, with the Tigers, and only looked at his numbers, I think they're seeing a guy who they can really, really get behind as a person um, and, and just the way he goes about his business. I think he's been super impressive with some of the stuff that he's um, he shared with reporters so far the, the, the on Ian Happ's Compound podcast. Just some great stuff. So I, I like the direction the Cubs have gone at catcher, even though I do understand how much offense they lost doing it. And that's certainly something they're going to have to figure out. But uh, I think as far as interacting with the the staff, I think it's great. Yeah, and obviously um, I was a big Contreras fan too. So and it does suck he's gone. But clearly, yeah, they just – he didn't fit into their plans for whatever mm-hmm. reason. You know, I mean, the defensive issues or whatever you want to – and I mean, it was surprising that there's so – little trade market and it might have been for some of those same issues yeah i I mean i think i think that's what we saw um you know when it when it came to you know and the cubs did have a deal in place with houston right and and that that was going to happen uh but dusty baker scuttled it at the time and you know i think a lot of that came from you know there's certain and, and people might interpret this different, like, like Contreras is a strong personality, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think regardless of how you want to interpret that, I think it's true. Um, and, and there is a concern in some of those cases when it comes to how he's going to maybe fit in with that team, especially being added on the fly. I mean, that's what, that's what Baker spoke to. Um, you know, we can debate back and forth whether that's accurate or fair to him or not, but I, I do think there's, a measure of the catching position in particular uh, that maybe Contreras wasn't as invested in, in in terms of just the game planning, prepping for opposing lineups, right? Knowing, intimately knowing how his pitchers want to be caught, how they want their games to be called, how they work together. Um, And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to disparage him, uh, and, and kind of throw dirt on him once he's gone or whatever. But, I, I mean, it's hard to really ignore if you look at the numbers those pitchers had, the performances they had when throwing to Contreras and when throwing to Gomes, and it was certainly different. Again, I, I don't know. It it felt, and I'm going to give him a compliment in this regard. So I just finished reading the book, The Last Folk Hero, uh, by Jeff Perlman about Bo Jackson. Okay. Um, and, and Jackson, supremely talented athlete, right? Maybe the greatest pure athlete we've ever seen um, to be able to do what he did. However, Jackson was also cursed by the fact that he was so athletic because he didn't care to practice. Mm -hmm. He didn't work out, which is amazing. When you look at the guy and say he he never lifted weights, Um, you know, and and none of that really happened until he hurt his hip and he he was forced to, uh, to have to compensate for, for what he had lost in, in that in terms of athleticism. But 
you know, his superior abilities, just raw natural talent, owed his desire, right? And I think in the same sense, I think Contreras, he's such a great athlete. He's got such a strong arm Mm -hmm. that that I think he allowed that in a lot of cases to, um, you know, he leaned on that so hard that he was like, well, I don't really need to worry about that. I I don't want to, I'm not saying this is true. I'm, I'm trying to say this the right way, but I think there were some of the finer points and the soft skills maybe that go into making a truly great catcher were things that he either didn't possess and either chose not to really develop and work on or simply was had a harder time working on those things and maybe some of the you know being able to make the flashy back pick yeah you know can i add add a different point too that's kind of in a similar vein he didn't start out as a catcher he was a third baseman he didn't make the decision to catcher until he was well in the minor leagues so it might be different if you were born like since you were 12 catching as opposed to you know being a late conversion it might be he never could get catch up on those finer skills yeah and that and that's I, I think that's probably part of it you know that that's one of those things that it takes so long to develop and that's right you know I want to be careful with it but I but I do think again you're talking about a guy who's very we you know um Certainly there was there was a time, and I, I don't remember if this was the 18 or the 19 season, but there was one of them where um, you know, his offense just completely fell off in the second half. Now that's there there have been some issues. You know, he's had some injury trouble. Uh mm-hmm. the hamstring in particular has cropped cropped up a couple times. You know, this happened late in the season. He saw his offensive production drop off, and at, and at one point he had admitted it was he stopped working out. Mm-hmm. Right. He 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 really let that cycle. And and part of that, I get it, man. Being being a catcher. And catching as often as he did is is very difficult, very taxing work. However, if you're not keeping up with the workouts and, and making sure your body stays strong, not just allowing yourself to rest for recovery, but you've got to work out for recovery and to stay strong there. And and again, he learned from that, or at least said he did. But but at the same time, it does make me wonder if you're, you know, unwilling or unable to kind of work as hard on those things that, that might be boring, that might be tedious, you know, um, then, then you are, as you, as you mentioned, you're already starting kind of from behind some of these guys from a, from a defensive, again, as I mentioned, soft skills perspective. And so, um, yeah, that was something I think might've been just really difficult for him to catch up on. So, yeah. But I mean, obviously now we're we're in the situation, you know, Cubs have made their moves and I mean I I hope he does well except against the Cubs, of course. Yeah. I mean and 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 that'd be great, you know. Um good for him, I hope, because and part of this, like I guess I look at this in, in the same way I looked at kind of the Dexter Fowler mm-hmm. signing there in, in um St. Louis, where, you know, gosh, I, I was I was concerned about that from the start um, when when he did anyway, right? When he moved yeah. out there with Fowler and thinking, man, I don't know if that personality is going to play real well yes. in St. Louis. And and that, that too, yes. yeah, that concerns me a great deal with him. Um, now, that said, right, this is a, a an organization and a fan base that praised a guy who yeah. – you know, we could all watch like in a game against the Cubs completely failed to pay attention to the play that was going on around him. 
yeah, because man. he was arguing with an umpire. He he went AWOL on his team to go watch the professional basketball team he owns play in Puerto Rico. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're making too much of this in the, in the Contreras thing, but I, I sincerely hope he does well enough because it would – it would just stink, you know, as a former Cub to see him go there and kind of like bear the wrath of of the fan base that wants to see everybody play the right way, quote unquote. Yes. But um, and I will add, um, I also have a personal bias um with Tucker Barnhart because uh he played here in Billings for the Mustangs, so nice woman person, yeah. Yeah, he's a really good dude, and and I again, I think that's, I think you know, you get somebody who's who's familiar with it. And I think here here's the thing too: a lot of people, as I said, um, you know, he had a he had a tough, and he's the first one to admit it, right? He he was pretty bad in uh, in Detroit. Yeah, I right? did not have a good season. He's he's the first to tell you. Um, Something really weird happened in Detroit. Yeah, year. and it was, and he wasn't the only one, right? We can look at Javi Baez. We can look at some. Um, but I think you learned a lot from that, but, but there's, there's something, and I, I want to be careful how this, you know, cause so often we hear about change of scenery. We talk about that and it, and it seems like such a, a convenient thing to say, Oh, maybe a bounce back. Cause he, but you know, when, when you get traded to a place or, you know, you think you're maybe getting into a good situation, but it ends up kind of, I don't want to say it was toxic for in, in Detroit as a whole, but I think if I, if I, use that because obviously it's a, such a commonly used phrase now but i think more toxic to barnhart's production but mm-hmm. but this is a situation that he got to choose uh, to choose right he wanted to be in chicago the cubs presented him with a lot of uh, of good pitches when they recruited him mm-hmm. um and and i think this is a match where he can come in with a higher comfort level he's he's batting just left-handed now instead of trying to go back to switch hitting he was going back and forth on that i think he's just in a much better spot and and for some players, right, or, or any, I mean, any of us, right, if you go from a situation where you kind of felt unwanted, you you were struggling to perform at the level you felt that you should, and, you know, you're, you're wondering, man, am I going to get traded? And then you're not, and now you get to go make that choice, be part of a new uh, situation. And, and one of the cool things about this, there's a lot of stress that was taken off his plate for two reasons. One, he's out of Detroit, where things just didn't work real well for him. Two, getting two years guaranteed from the Cubs uh, guarantees that he will make uh, 10 years of service time, okay. which is a huge deal for Major League Baseball players, right? It means you're fully vested in the retirement program, but but that to be a 10-year big leaguer is a, is a tremendous milestone. And I, and I know that was a big part of, I think, what, you know, the negotiations and, and being able to secure that second year, that was huge. So I think now you've got a guy who's, who gets to stay closer to home, um, you know, he's from central Indiana. That's where his, his home is now in the off season. So I, I just think there's a lot to that. And, and that's, we could draw that across the Cubs as a whole. I think they've done a really, really good job of bringing guys in who, who can benefit from a change of scenery and, yeah. and who want to be there and who are really, really good clubhouse, not, not just leaders. I think the leadership thing gets overblown a lot, but just good guys to have in the clubhouse who just can mesh right into the into the situation you know who aren't going to cause waves who are going to just have fun and be great teammates and and i do think that's a big part of what the cubs have done this offseason yeah but you know that detroit thing is just remember um with uh back when they got um cubs got arietta there's that thing that happened 
in Baltimore where they messed with all their pitchers. They like banned them from throwing cutters, I think. Mm-hmm. They screwed up all the Orioles pitchers for, I don't know, like five years. That's what it feels like went on in Detroit. Yeah, and I think there were a few things there. It was really weird because they, they messed up everybody's bat pat, their vertical bat angle. Like every one of their players, almost every, I mean, a, a number of them. And, you know, but you, you're also talking about a kind of a cavernous ballpark, right? Where it's like just, and then they're finally figuring it out so that they're going to move the field in and make some changes. And I'm just thinking, you know, Detroit was, and, and myself included, Detroit was kind of a popular pick to be like a dark horse in the AL Central. Right. They had added, you know, they brought in Barnhart. They brought in some pitchers. They had, they made the trade with the Rays and got Meadows in there. And, you know, they, they looked like a team that could make some noise and they somehow managed to screw it all up, which is really kind of wild. Um, just across the board like that, it's always interesting because, you know, sometimes we have access to, I think, too many statistics and you can kind of pick and choose some of them a little too much or whatever, but it's, it's kind of stunning that, uh, you know, across the board, something like, again, vertical bat angle, it, you know, that to see every one of their players, I think, decrease their angle. And that's, you know, so again, where, you know, you think about it and and you do, obviously there, there's a point at which, you know, a flat bat angle or flatter may uh, maybe increase contact a little bit, whereas a steeper angle is going to, to you know, more fly balls, more balls out of the park. So you kind of have some give and take, but there's a point at which, you know, if you if you lower it too much or yeah. improve or increase it too much, right, then it goes a, a different way. But it's just it's kind of fascinating that it wasn't like they just all changed. They all went in the same direction yeah. and the results were bad for all of them. And uh, until, you know, you look at a guy like Barnhart, if you split his season and you look at pre and post trade deadline, his numbers are incredibly better after the trade deadline. And so. You can walk that back and go, well, here's a dude who got into this. You know, he, he went back to switch hitting. He wanted to kind of, you know, be the guy who could get every day at bats, you know, be the everyday catcher back there. He wanted to please because obviously, you know, hey, maybe there's an extension in the works, right? I think that was the talk initially when they traded for him. Detroit might have wanted to work something out. Well, of course, he doesn't want to make waves in the organization. He doesn't want to go against kind of what their philosophy is. And that goes on for a while, and then, you know, then you hear you might get traded. Well, once he's not traded, well, now all of a sudden he's like, okay, well, at this point, they're not going to extend me. They're not going to trade me. i got to audition for other teams. Like, I've, I've got to really get this back together. And then if you see what he did after that point, that is a big part of why I say I think the change of scenery and the stuff with the Cubs, you know, is going to work out well for him because he can get back to being himself. So, um, but but – Things like that fascinate me when you look at the numbers and the and the performance. And now you have to really contextualize them. You can't just say, oh, this guy was bad. Okay, well, why? Was something different? What can we look at? Yes. And and where can we see why that happened? And and, and is there a way that we can believe that maybe that could get better? And in his case, I think it is. But, um, you know, same with Bellinger. I think he's got a possibility to bounce back in a big way. So should be cool. Yeah, but I mean, like, a Bellinger will just do real quick. He had like a fractured leg and that messed him up. And you think like, if his leg is fully healthy from the start of the season, we might see a different player. That's the hope. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and coming off of the shoulder issues too, 
mm-hmm. right? So now, now you've got a guy who, you know, again, he had his, his shoulder was pretty bad. And so again, this is something that happened multiple times, right? He had dislocated it several times. Just the last one was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. So now you get that fixed and you're trying to, you know, mentally kind of overcome some of that stuff. Well, now you've got uh, whatever was a stress fracture or whatever in his leg. Well, that could be causing all kinds of problems too. And so, you know, now ideally you've got someone who's fully healthy. I know he's done some work to, to, uh, to kind of change his swing mechanics a little bit. And, and I don't know specifically, obviously I, I don't know him well enough as a player outside of knowing how good he was for a while and what he looked like he could have been to know, well, is he changing the swing to get back to something? Or I wonder also, again, when you, you look at the shoulder and it's the, it's the right shoulder. So it's his non throw, you know, he's a, he's a left-handed batter, but that's the, that's the arm that has to extend on that follow through. And if there's anything at all mentally, that's kind of stopping you from being able to full go, yeah, you know, that, that could have impacted that swing over time. And so it's, uh, again, if he's a guy who's able to to feel fully confident, fully healthy in himself, um, or I guess fully healthy and fully confident in himself, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's back to MVP level performance, but even like, can we put up half the numbers he did a couple years ago? You take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and 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 with the Gold Glove caliber defense, right out in center field. I mean, that's. That's really what you're looking at with a guy like that is you're saying, hey, the the defense is effectively the floor, right? Like if you if you just provide and a lot of people, oh, you see sucked last year. I'm like, I, I don't know, folks. Did you pay attention to how Cubs center fielders hit last year? Because I got news for you, it wasn't real good. Um, and the defense was bad as well. And so now you have a guy who can go out there and pick it, right? I think Wrigley is a great environment for him. Um, it, it, things things are gonna work out pretty well and again you're also talking about a guy who's playing for his next contract exactly right there there's some motivation there so uh i I really really like the the potential for that to work out as something that could be a bargain for the company and if it's not if he's not very good it's a one-year deal and he's gone you know what i mean you're not committed to anything long term so i don't i don't see any way that that doesn't work out yes so i'll ask real quick about um, some interesting stuff about Kyle Hendricks talking about that he worked on his mechanics and he's throwing the hardest he's ever thrown. Should we feel at least intrigued by that? You know, I, I think maybe a little bit. Um, I, I guess, you know, one of the things that's, that's kind of funny about it is the idea that obviously he doesn't throw very hard in the first place. So, you know, we could be talking about a guy who's throwing like, 90 or 91 so his hardest would still be you know not quite in line with with even the average in major league not even close anymore i mean the average is like 93 and a half 94 miles an hour um and so you know i i, I think that there's what i am more concerned about honestly with him is the velocity difference between the fastball and the changeup because those have gotten a little too like his his changeup is actually getting more firm yeah. over time when his fastball velocity was dipping and so that the 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 disparity there had grown so small that um opposing hitters didn't really need to worry about the change quite as much and he, and he was getting you know they were teeing off on his fastball uh because they didn't really have to worry about sitting on one and and trying to 
get the other one because we saw how devastating his change could be when it was working and when he was able to really run that two seamer in a little bit better. So that I'm my concern is more hey if the if the velo goes up on the fastball as long as he's keeping that difference and and ideally increasing it significantly, continuing to get maybe the change up back down a little bit. Um, I, I think that would be interesting, but um, you know, again, it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be a while yet. I mean, this is somebody who's he's still not off the mound, so that's the other thing, right? He's he's done his throwing program, but I, I don't think he's really getting back on the mound until maybe the first of March, right? Yeah. So we're probably talking about missing the start of the season. Um, he's not a guy who traditionally has gone deep into games and and racked up a bunch of innings anyway. Yeah, and so that that concerns me a little bit right but but there again he avoided surgery it sounds like he's got a good prognosis on the health of that shoulder and the capsular tear which is really good because in many cases uh even players who initially try to avoid surgery have to end up getting it anyway so uh, i've just got my fingers crossed that, that that he does not have to fall back into that and that he can stay healthy because um that you know hendricks even getting back again we're talking about all these guys. He he has to be better than the last two years. He doesn't have to be, you know, twenty fifteen level, twenty sixteen level. And their depth, but as is, long as he's better than the last two, it's better, you know. But their depth is pretty good for the rotation. Yeah, better than absolutely. Have. I mean, I don't know, yeah. if like a Adrian Sampson can repeat what he did last year, but you do have some options. Yeah, I I think. And, and, you know, I think Jameis to tie on coming in there, um, that, that to me, I'm very interested to see again, what the, what the Cubs feel they, uh, they can leverage with his stuff, you know, that maybe uh, that the Yankees I know did certainly some work on, um, you know, and he he's pretty solid there. I know he's had an issue with the uh, couple of the Tommy John surgeries and, and how does that come back around? How does he um, kind of, I think this, the sinker, you know, was one, there were some issues with that, but, um, you know, I, I, I like, again, we're talking about a good leader, a good, like by all accounts, like the best teammate that's out there, everybody loves this guy. So, um, I want to see, you know, can Justin Steele take that next step and continue to go deeper than five innings into games? Can he stay healthy? Um, you know, does Marcus Stroman continue to pitch? Like after he kind of got some of that inconsistency and some injuries out of the way, he was really good down the stretch. You know, do we yeah, see that? I really like um, Drew Smiley. I really like what he did last year. If he can stay healthy. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the key with so many of these guys, mm-hmm. right? Like, none of them, you know, outside of when when Tyon is kind of looked at as as the de facto workhorse mm-hmm. in a way, and it's it's hard to say that, but, you know, for throwing like 180 innings, I mean, we yeah. the game has changed. We have to continue to lower our, our kind of expectations for what that innings count is. Right. But if you if you look at any of them, Edward Alzali, Keegan Thompson, both of whom are probably uh, slotted into, you know, middle relief slash long relief roles. But neither of them has really been able to stay healthy. Steele hasn't so far. Hendricks hasn't. Stroman didn't last year. Um, you know, Smiley has not throughout his career. So they, they have a bunch of guys who, if they all stay healthy, if they all pitch to their capabilities, Yes. I think you have a pretty formidable pitching staff as a whole, especially if they are able to add, uh, I think it was Matt Moore and, uh, and you know, Andrew Chafin. Yes. You talk about a lefty, another strong veteran lefty in the bullpen. Uh, Brandon Hughes was the only one or is the only one currently. 
you know, you're starting to say, again, it's a competent, you don't have a, a, a like a bona fide ace, mm-hmm. but you've got a bunch of guys who slide into that number two, three spot pretty well. And if you have five or six of them, that's, that's pretty good. You're going to beat most teams. And, and I think that's what they're kind of leaning into. Yes. So I guess um, we'll end up, I'll finish up, but uh, just a couple of thoughts on what do you think of the Cubs convention back for the first time in a few years? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was nice. It was, um, you know, there was a, a bit of a different vibe. I, I didn't feel like it was as well. I, I know it wasn't as busy because I know that up until even the day of, right, you could still buy hotel packages and, and buy individual passes, which typically wasn't the case. Usually those things would sell out very quickly. And, and uh, you know, there's a, I, I use this analogy a couple of times, so I'll, I'll do it again, but I used to be a big fan of The Walking Dead. I love the show. I'd watch it religiously, you know, as it, it came on, that was appointment viewing for me. And then, it, you know, again, I, I kind of thought it jumped the shark a little bit, but I watched out of obligation and then, uh, I don't know if it was the, you know, they would do those long mid-season breaks. And after one of them, um, you know, yeah. I, I failed to start picking it back up, right? Like, I, I forgot I missed it one Sunday or whatever it was that was on. And then I realized, like, you know what? I, I'm actually kind of glad to have that hour of my life back yeah. every week now. And I stopped watching. So I equate that back to, I think there were a lot of folks who, you've got your diehards, right, who are always going to go no matter what. Yeah. But there were a lot of folks who would be like, it was a tradition thing. You know, they went when they were a kid and they they just, you know, they would buy the tickets and they would, they would go and it was a cool place to kind of catch up with folks. But I think not having it for a couple of years there. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, they, they lost it. And, and the team, you know, hasn't really done anything to win those folks back. And so if you had the people who were, they didn't like the team's direction, well, you know, then I'm not going to pony up this money, but. Um, outside of that though, I, I really felt like what was cool about it was not only was it the first time back since 2020, but you've got so many people who are new to the organization, a ton of those prospects, right? Matt Mervis, Pete Crow Armstrong, Ed Howard, um, so many others, right. were not part of the organization. The last time there even was a Cubs convention, Boog Shabby was another one. I talked to Boog. This is his first Cubs convention. You know, yeah. he had never been. And so for to see that through, and then you look at, uh, Bellinger and Hosmer mm-hmm. and Tyon and Barnhart, as we've talked about all these guys, it was their first time being able to be a part of it. And I know some other teams that are out there um, do have like fan events like this, but I don't think it's anything like no. as on the, on the scale of Cubs con. And so that was cool. I said, for me personally, it was great because it's, it's one of the few times that you can get together with a bunch of folks, whether it's, it's blogs, podcasts, you know, um, just kind of covering, just, just being a part of like Cubs Twitter or whatever, right. That you're seeing so many of these folks in the same place in person for the first time in a long time. And then, um, you know, there's a few players that are out there that I've gotten to know a little bit over the years for one reason or another, and so to kind of be able to to see them and and catch up with the folks at the the minor league affiliates, I th- I thought it was great. Uh, like I said, you get super positive about all that stuff. It's always that time, but um, but this time I think certainly with the moves they've made and and when you look at where this fan base was and where the evaluation of this team was, like you know heading into even almost. Around around Christmas, right? If we get into later December, you know, pre, pre Dansby Swanson 
and think about where the organization, where the the assessment of the organization was, and now you, and take that to today. Um, certainly, it was a it was a it's a very very different perspective, and I think um, that that shown through. I think it was a good thing that they uh, were able to make that all happen because I think the vibe would have been a lot different. But um, again, a, a really cool experience, one of the more fulfilling ones for me personally, um, having gone to it for several years. I think this one was. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, a bit better than what uh, I had expected. Yep. Great. Well, I think that's a good point to end it on. And yeah, I mean, as always, you can find all your work and my work on Cubs Insider. And yeah, I guess we can find you on Twitter. Where at? You can find me uh, at D Evan Altman out on on the Twitter machine. So I will be there. Uh, you know until. Elon Musk uh, turns it into one of his one of his cars that uh, you know crashes when it doesn't have a driver. Uh, I'll still be there tweeting until the end. Okay. Yeah, and thank you as always for coming on. You've been one of my most frequent guests, and um, you put up the let me put up the podcast on Cubs Insider. So thank you for all you've done for this podcast. Hey, I do what I can. I'm a, I'm. I'm amazed it's still going. If you've let me come on so many times that, that you even made it to a hundred, but uh, you know, Hey, here's to a hundred more. That's right. Thank you. You can follow me on Twitter at STH 85. You can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you want to send an email to the podcast, it's Holy cow pod at gmail.com and again I just want to thank my guest and thank all of you for listening over the years and this is the new season so we're going to put out more episodes and yeah we'll be here all year and again thank you so much for 100 episodes